Thank you, Jeff and musicians. Take your Bible tonight and go to Genesis chapter 44. We took a, a lengthy break in our study of Joseph and his life, and so I want to resume that this evening, and uh, we'll be in chapter 44 in a few minutes. Let me take some time and, and just kind of do a summary and reset uh, the context. Many of you know the story very well, but in case there's someone who's not read it in a while, let me just catch you up. Joseph uh, was one of 12 boys, uh, really just the third or fourth generation from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his dad, and then Joseph and his brothers. And so um, the, the, the promise of God to Abraham is passed down through Isaac and Jacob, and then Joseph will be the recipient. So um, he's important in the story of Israel as he's one of those patriarchs whom the promise goes down through. Um, there were some problems in the home that uh, Joseph came from, and, and probably a lot of the issues that Joseph dealt with in his life stem from that, obviously, if you read the story. And let me just review some of the, we've talked about these before, so if you still remember it and it's fresh, then uh, just bear with us and, and we'll get through it to the text. The first problem in his home, in Jacob's home, uh, was pretty obvious. He had more than one wife. He had four, in fact. And um, we know you're the Sunday night crowd. You're, you're intelligent people. That just doesn't work out well. I mean, it just doesn't work out well in a home where there's a husband with four wives. Now, you know the story, and, and I won't take time to uh, go through it all, but uh, Jacob... Uh, met a woman, Rachel, that he, he loved. And so he had to work for her for seven years. Now, that's love. He labored for seven years to be able to marry her, uh, and then he was tricked. Uh, and, and, and that's something we've come back one day and review. I'm not sure how he got tricked because he woke up the next morning and it ain't the woman he thought he had. I think I might notice before then, I'm just saying. But the point is, um, he gets the next day, it ain't Rachel. And he finds out that, you know, Laban says, well, we couldn't give you the youngest daughter first. We had to marry the oldest daughter. So you can work another seven years for Rachel. And he loved her so much that he did. So 14 years uh, to win this bride. And so he ends up with, with Rachel and her handmaid and, and Leah and her handmaid. And so he ends up marrying all of them. I'm not going to take the time to go through the story. And so nobody said Jacob was very smart. But, he, but the point is, he, he loved this one woman, and he ends up with four, right? Well, from these four women, he has 12 sons. The, the trouble began when you have all these sons from different women because a mother's instinct is to, you know, elevate her children above the other children, even though they're all in the same family. And so there was this this inherent competition because there's one husband and four wives. Which again, God designed the home to be one man and one woman for life, and it works best that way, okay, because God designed it that way. So these 12 boys are, are at competition with one, or, one another. Now, Jacob exacerbated the problem that Joseph would later experience. He, as a dad, showed favoritism to some boys of the group. Joseph and Benjamin were born of Rachel, his favorite wife. There's a problem right there, favorite wife, which then led to favorite children, and the other ten noticed that. 
Okay? So you have ten brothers who know that Joseph and Benjamin are the golden children, okay? And, and the other wives know that Rachel is the special wife. And so there's this built-in animosity among the boys. And then Jacob even made it worse. He made no privacy or hesitation about making known to everybody that, that, that Joseph and Benjamin were his favorite, and he gave Joseph a special coat. And then Joseph was about as foolish as his dad because he wore the thing around. The other boys, the ten, had already made clear that they hated him. And so what does he do? He puts that coat on and says, look at me now. So the ten hated him even more, which led to the situation. They're off with the sheep and they're far from home. And Jacob said to Joseph, go find your brothers and see if they're okay and come back and tell me if they're all right. Probably not the right thing to do. So Joseph goes, and guess what he packs to take with him? That coat. So when he shows up to see his brothers, he's wearing that coat. Now here's the serious part. And all of that's kind of humorous a little bit. If it, it would be funny if it wasn't so serious. But the ten of them, the ten boys decided they were going to kill their brother. That's how serious this was. They, they had murder in their heart. They said, you know what, we're far from home, and Dad will never know, and we're going to kill that rascal, and him and his coat, we'll see what happens to him. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't, I'm not going to go through the details because I don't have time. Joseph had even made it worse because God gave Joseph some dreams. And in those dreams, he's number one, and they all bow down to him, and, and he didn't keep them dreams to himself. He said, hey, guys, guess what I saw in my dream? You're all going to bow down to me. And so they said, we'll kill him, and we'll see who bows down to who. They threw him in a pit, and we're going to leave him there. And then some Midianites came by, some traders going down to Egypt. And Judah, remember who did this now, because it's Judah, says, hey, Instead of killing them, why don't we sell them to the Midianites and we can kill two birds with one stone. We can be rid of them forever and we can make some money. And so all the brothers said, hey, that's a good idea. So they, they take Joseph out of the pit and they sell him to the Midianites and away he goes and they make money. And then they took his coat <clears throat> that he was wearing and they, they dipped it in, in sheep's blood and they took it back to their dad and they lied and they said, they said to their dad, hey, we found this coat on the way home, and it looks like Joseph's. Maybe you can tell if it's your son's or not, knowing good and well that it was. And so Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. And so when you come to that part of the story, it's sad. Everybody's weeping. You know, poor Jacob's heart is broken, and the boys are rascals, right? They've lied. They've gotten rid of their brother, and they made their dad think his son is dead. And so these guys are rascals now. Fast forward to Joseph in Egypt. And we've talked about all this in the weeks before we took our hiatus from this study. You know what happened to Joseph? He's a young man. Now, keep in mind, he's just a, he's a teenager when they do this. He's probably, he's less than 20 for sure. They send him off. Think of being that young. I remember joining the Navy when I was 19. And I remember the morning the recruiter showed up at like 4.30 in the morning and said, we're ready to go. And I thought, man, the whole world's still asleep. Why are you here at 4.30 in the morning? 
And so I got in the car, and that was the last time I ever spent a night at home because I got in the car and I went away, and life was different after that, especially when I met my wonderful instructors at, at boot camp. They, they just welcomed me right into the military in a great fashion. But the fact is, as a teenager and as a young man, Joseph was sent away into slavery, sold, and his life, you know, probably in his mind, he's thinking, I'll, you know, my life's over because here I am. They've sold me, and nobody will ever know that I'm here, and I'll never see my family again. And so Potiphar, uh, the captain of Pharaoh's personal guard, secret service, the, the security detail for Pharaoh, Potiphar buys Joseph and puts him in his home. And God blessed Joseph, and in no time, Joseph is the head of all the servants in Potiphar's home, and he's running everything, and, and Potiphar trusts Joseph so much, he just leaves everything into his hands. And then along comes Potiphar's wife, and, and she's a little sporty, right? She's chasing him around the house and, and trying to get him to commit adultery, and Joseph has integrity, and he says, no, uh, your, your husband's left everything in my care except you, you're his wife, and, and Joseph said some wise things. He said, how can I sin against God? And how can I sin against your husband to do such a thing? And so she lied, and he got thrown in prison. Now, think about all that for just a minute. And I, and I know we talked about it before, but it's worth mentioning again. When you get sold into slavery, that's pretty bad, all right? I mean, Joseph's probably thinking, my life can't get any worse. Well, yeah, just wait, okay? Because he gets there becomes a servant of Potiphar's house, and then this woman lies, and Potiphar throws him into prison. And so his life did get worse. It went from bad to worse. It went from the frying pan to the fire. Now, you remember the story. He's in prison for years. And the baker and the butler get arrested and thrown into prison. Pharaoh was mad with him, and he threw him in jail. And they had dreams, and, they, and Joseph came to them, and they said, we had dreams, and we're disturbed. And they told him the dreams, and Joseph rightly interpreted their dreams. Now, it was bad for the butler and good for the cupbearer, okay? It was bad for the baker and good for the butler. The baker got hung, and the, and the, and the butler, the drink bearer, taster, he got restored to his job. And Joseph asked him to remember me. When you get your job back, remember me, and he didn't. So Joseph's in jail. Now here's the part I, wanna, I want us to be reminded of before we, we talk about God getting him out of jail. Events can come along in life, and when we look at Joseph's life, we think, man, you know, it's like the whole hee-haw thing. If it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all, right? And so Joseph, the young, if there were any kids up there, they'd be going, hee-haw, what is that? That was the best show ever on TV, man. What do you mean? Um, so He's had nothing but bad luck on top of bad luck on top of bad luck. But here's, here's some good news for us today. Because there might be somebody here tonight who says, you know, I've had a period in my life like that when, you know, things got bad. And then I thought they would get better and they just got worse. And then when I thought they couldn't get any worse, there's a whole other level of worse. And so, you know, that happens in life. But let me encourage you with this. God, now that we can look back on the story, on the accounts, God used all of the events in Joseph's life to bring him where he wanted him to be. Isn't that good? In other words, Joseph's thinking, this is terrible, and God from heaven's going, just relax, because you don't know where I'm taking you. You don't know what's about to happen. 
in, the, in, in Romans 8, 28, this is in the flesh right here. And we know that all things work together for those who love the Lord to those who are what? Called according to his purpose. Now, I know two things about Joseph. He loved God. I mean, you can read the, read the thing. He loves God. He knows God. He's, he's serving God in the prison. And he's chosen. I know that because God's got his hand on him. He's going to use him. So God's going to use all these things to bring Joseph where he wants him to be for, for God's glory. Can I say to us tonight, God's still doing that. God's do, Listen, and here's the really neat part about it. God does it on an individual level because your path in life is not my path in life. And my path in life is not your path in life. And so I can't look at you and say, boy, isn't that marvelous how God just used you in such a marvelous way because God wants to use me but not like you. He wants to use you because you're you and he wants to use me because I'm me and God has a purpose for each one of us. And so Joseph had this purpose. He didn't know what it was. Now he's going to articulate it later because he's going to realize what it was. But at this point, he can't see the end, but God can. Now one thing I commend Joseph for through this whole thing Never is it recorded in here that he got mad at God. Never. Never, does he, never is it recorded that he complained. Now, I know none of us would complain about anything. But I think if I was Joseph, I might complain. I mean, I have to confess, I've prayed before and complained to God. Because God said, I can say anything, I can talk to him. So I told him. So I just complained. Maybe I wasn't supposed to, maybe, but I felt better after I did. You know, because God said, you can come to me anytime. And so I just laid it on God. I said, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. I've said that God before. I'm not, I'm not having a good time here with this thing. But you know what I always end my prayer with? But I trust you. I feel better after I tell him. And then I say, but I trust you because whatever you're doing is okay. And whatever you're doing is right. Joseph was like that. Joseph never complained, never, never called God out. Now, you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh, Pharaoh has a dream, and kind of like Nebuchadnezzar and all them other pagan leaders in, in the Bible. And he knows there's something about this dream, but it scares him, and he don't know what it is. So he calls in all of his wise men in Egypt and all the people, and he says, tell me what this dream means. And you remember, it was the skinny cows, the fat cows, and the skinny cows, and the fat corn and the skinny corn, and he didn't know what it means. And so they're having the big meeting there in Pharaoh's throne room, and nobody can figure it out, and all the brain trust of Egypt's there. And the butler, the, the taste tester, the, the wine baron guy, he's standing there, and suddenly it comes to him, hey, I know a guy that's pretty good with dreams. I would suggest to you God brought that to his memory because up to that point he wasn't remembering Joseph. So he tells Pharaoh, he hey, it, Remember when you were mad with me and you threw me in jail and I had a dream and the baker had a dream and Joseph interpreted it. So they send for Joseph. They shave him, clean him up, put some clean clothes on him. He comes in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hey, man, I heard you can interpret dreams. Talk about pressure, right? Doesn't even know what a dream is yet. Pharaoh tells him the dream and God gives Joseph the interpretation. He said, that's easy. He said, God's warning you. Jehovah God, now when you say God to Pharaoh, he's got a bunch of gods. So Joseph is very careful to say, hey, my God, the real God, is warning you that uh, there's a famine coming. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine like you ain't ever seen. 
And so Pharaoh and them are all tickled to know, oh man, that's great. And then you can almost in your mind see this scene, all of them go back to talking and forget Joseph is standing there. And then finally, you know, Joseph goes, excuse me, uh, can I make a recommendation? And then all, everybody stops talking like, who is this guy again? And Joseph goes, you know, you really ought to pick somebody and put them in charge of getting ready for that famine because it's going to really be bad. In order, you ought to prepare in the seven good years so, you, so you're ready in the seven lean years and you don't all starve to death. And Pharaoh said, well, you don't want to interpret a dream, so you're it. You're, you're in charge. And he gives him his ring and makes him the number two guy in, in Egypt. I've always enjoyed that. And the Bible left one thing out that I really want to know. I want to know if Potiphar's wife packed her bags and left town as soon as she found out that Joseph became prime minister of all Egypt. I want to know if she suddenly had to go somewhere else and not stay around. But Joseph, as you know, was a godly young man. He wasn't vindictive, and he didn't go after people to make them pay for their wrongs. Uh, very, very much the nature of God, of the God that he served. So with all that said, let's get back to his brothers, okay? It's a great story, isn't it? His brothers are in Canaan, and, and, and for seven years, Joseph saves up grain, and they bring it, and they store it. And they store so much, he quits counting it. They build new silos, and so Egypt, is boiling over with food, and the famine comes. And the famine is just as God said it would be. It's severe. It's bad, and people are starving to death everywhere. And in Canaan, there's Jacob and the family, and they run out of food. And so you remember the story. Jacob says to the other ten, well, Benjamin, but he ain't letting Benjamin go anywhere. So he says to the ten, you guys need to get down to Egypt and get some food because I hear they have food down there. And so they go. Now remember... Here's where the tests come in, and we're going to get to the second test tonight. When the boys get there, Joseph is handling all the food distribution, and they have to appear before their brother. But they don't recognize him because he looks like an Egyptian, and he's speaking Egyptian. But he recognizes them immediately. Now, if it had been you or me, we would have really messed with them, wouldn't we? I mean, we would have. We would have said, aha, last time I saw you, I was begging to get out of a pit, and now here you are. We're going to see how this goes. But Joseph didn't do that. Now, he did test them, and we're, all, and we're going to talk about the first one, then we're going to read the second one. You'll remember that he accused them of being spies, so he made them all afraid. He said, I think you guys are here to look for weaknesses in the land. I think you're spies. Boy, they backpedaled and said, no, we're not spies. We're the sons of one man. And they begin spilling the beans, right? And one is not, meaning him, meaning they think he's dead. And they're, they're just laying on. Now, Joseph wanted to know really, he really wanted to know three things. He wanted to know if his brother Benjamin was still alive. He wanted to know if his dad was still alive. And here's the one he really wanted to know. He wanted to know if them guys were different. Were they different? Were they still the mean, wicked, selfish murderers that they were? Or had God changed them? Had they recognized their sin and repented, and are they different? So to find that out, he already found out his dad's alive and his brother's alive because they spilled the beans trying to defend themselves. So he put all of them in jail for three days. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder if, they put, if he put them in the same prison he was in. Hey, I got just the place for you guys. Right, you're going to love it. 
trust me, I was there for years. So he puts them in jail for three days. And then he gets them all out, and he says, here's what we're going to do. And this was the test. He said, I 